Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to part two of episode 16 of the Grave Plot Podcast. Um, you may have noticed that we've had a very long episode so far. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tony's dad is a talker. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we, we brought him in for his knowledge on Stephen King and he definitely gave it to us. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good stuff. There's a lot of meat there. Yeah, um, so... Anyway, um, let's go ahead and jump in. I mean, we've—I think we covered all our horror business, and so we'll just jump right in to where we left off with the uh, reviews. To the reviews! Hey. Anyway, so um, okay, before we jump into our movie reviews, uh, we actually have a called-in review we mentioned earlier. Um, our friend Carlos, who was on the show uh, a few episodes back uh, from video ga- video game break. Um, called in his review of house of the dead so by uve bull <laughs> so let's go ahead and give that a listen five teens looking for fun at a rave on an island full of zombies awful zombies looking for one thing i just want your flesh they are everywhere. They are fast. They fight to the end and beyond. Best I reckon the story goes. There was once some crazy Spanish padre who was banished from Spain hundreds of years ago. Come closer, Captain. I cannot see your face. You know why I was banished from Spain? Your experiments are not of God. They say he murdered the crew of the San Cristobal, enslaved the natives of this island, and killed whoever came here ever since. Some say he still does. It was my fault! It was my fault. Were you here? Did you see it? Did you see me watch them rip her apart? It's not gonna happen again. We're gonna get out of here. Coming 2003, a movie based on one of the most popular video games of all times, The House of the Dead. Hey guys, this is Carlos with a horror movie review via the phone. Uh, the movie is House of the Dead, made in 2003, directed by Uwe Boll, who uh, also did video game movies, uh, Blood, Rain, and Postal. This is a uh, movie based on a video game with the same name, House of the Dead. Loosely, loosely based on the video game House of the Dead. Uh, this is a piece of rubbish. And I could just leave the review as that, but I'll go on and give you a little more in detail. Uh, it's terrible, and the saddest thing is this director is currently filming two other movies. So this makes me angry for, for all the people who are good directors and there's great casts trying and struggling to get movies made, and this guy is making two more of them. Uh, so real quick, House of the Dead as quick as I can because I want to get it out of my head. The acting 
ranges from B-movie, which you kind of expect, to community theater, like they are not acting. Uh, one of the most annoying things about this whole movie is that they intercut video game footage from the video game House of the Dead throughout the movie, especially during action scenes when they're killing, in quote, zombies. I'm not really sure what they are. And then they, they cut to the video game to really make it drive it home that, yeah, man, it's just like that property that we're using the name of. Oh, jeez. All right, so that was a crutch throughout the whole movie. Terrible. Uh, in the very beginning of the movie, in the title credits, they're already showing video game footage. Uh, so that's a problem. Uh, it starts with a rave, typical, they're on an island, kids, not kids, but young adults, I don't know, adults, I guess, go to this island, and then there's a rave, and uh, and there's a Sega banner up in the background somewhere, just to make sure you know that this is based on a video game. They're going to try to melt that as much as they can. Um, yeah, so the rave is silly. Uh, at some point, they do all the classic tropes. Oh, I'm, me and this girl are going to go make out. Why don't you guys go over here and do that thing? Well, we're going to go for a swim. For some reason, when there's two people, the one girl goes for a swim. She goes down in the water, and I still don't know what happened, but for some reason, the water started sucking her down, the evil, evil turbulence, and she just got spooked out by that. But then, of course, her boyfriend or whatever, the guy that she was with, was gone when she came back. And All right. Anyways, the point is they all get kind of separated. Crap goes down, and people start. Okay, so I got cut off because I started going into detail about the movie. Obviously, we don't have much, that much time on the call. Just say the, the two worst things is intercutting the video game footage with the movie. Ridiculous. Number two, all the millions of these one-liners, like little jokes, like just cannot, I can't deal with that. They kept putting them in the weirdest places, too, like traumatic stuff happens, and they're like, Oh, well, anyways, these two one-liners, terrible. Uh, the only cool thing in the whole movie was this matrixy type thing they try to use, uh, the 360 camera angle business that you see in, like, the NBA. That was interesting and kind of cool. But then they drove it into the ground, and they kept using it every chance they get. Because, you know why? That was the only cool thing out of the whole movie. Okay, so that's the only thing. Uh, I was scoring it on my negative rad scale. It got minus 200. Don't see this. Don't support Uwe Boll, and let's make a petition so that he never makes another movie again, even though he's already filming two of them. This is Carlos with your horror movie podcast review. Please go against Uwe Boll. All right. Thanks, Carlos. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can definitely second that that movie is absolute shit. <laughs> but it does have Jurgen Brock now. Right. <laughs> And yeah, like he kept talking about how they would like intersperse the, the video game footage. And the part that just stands out to me is I remember in the video game, whenever you would die, the screen would turn red. Yeah. And like the, your, your character would just kind of crumple up on the ground. And in the movie, every time somebody dies, they did that. Right. And it was just like, give me a fucking break. <laughs> like, this is a movie. Like, I, the only movie or the only word I can think of when I think of that movie is schlock. I mean, that that's like the only real true descriptor of that movie is just 
like Carlos said, like they they really wanted to hammer home that this is based on the video game. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> I like that you mentioned the Sega banner. The Sega banner. <laughs> <laughs> um, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's like Resident Evil wasn't like you know filmed entirely behind someone's shoulder or something, right? Like. Um, I mean, to go on to like um, House of the Dead Two, which was by no means a great movie, but it was much better than the first one. Yeah, uh, and Uwe Boll had nothing to do with that one. <laughs> um, and I mean, this is the same like Carlos said, the same asshole that had. You know, destroyed the the Blood Rain movies, and like that could have been good, but that asshole got his grimy, greasy Nazi hands all over it. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, House of the Dead. I definitely agree. It's just absolute garbage. Yeah, yeah. He didn't give us a number, but um, definitely. He said minus two hundred. Oh, that's that's right. Uh, Carlos has this this system called negative rad, where he he'll score movies as he goes. And so uh, apparently his final score was negative 200. Right. Which, as we know, anybody that's played negative rad is essentially useless. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Uh, Who's who anyway? anyway? <laughs> yeah, so check out Carlos at his website, carlosrodella.com. He's got some other negative rads up there. And uh, th- they're fun. Yeah. And thank you, Carlos, for sending that in. Um, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that by calling 858-848-PLOT. Um, we did not know before that they were limited to three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if if you want to leave us a review like Carlos did, you're probably better off just sending us an MP3. Right. Just re- via email, graveplotpodcast at gmail.com. Um, anything three minutes or under, feel free to leave us a voicemail. Yeah. Most laptops nowadays have mics on them, so just, yeah, record it and email it to us. So. Yeah. All right. Okay, so finally... We're going to move on to our movie reviews. As we mentioned before, these are Stephen King adaptations. And uh, why don't we go ahead and start off with... um, Taylor's movie, Pet Cemetery. I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. Daddy, is Church all right? Why, Judd? I have Marines. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lois, was a secret. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts. That's not thought of. Something really bad. You're thinking of putting them up there. Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us. Paramount Pictures presents Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. Pet Cemetery. All right, so this is from 1989, directed by Mary Lambert. Um, the premise of the movie is essentially that there is a 
Pet Cemetery. Hence the name. <laughs> so it's not, not just, just a clever, clever name. Title. <laughs> it's spelled with an S. Um, and then there's the place beyond the Pet Cemetery. And if you bury your pets in the place beyond where the ground is sour, then things don't stay dead. But you don't want to go down that road. Sometimes that is better. <laughs> God, fucking Herman Munster. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm yes, Fred, but, but Fred I digress. <laughs> and I wanted to ask both of you, uh, Fred Gwynn, what's the better role? Judd Crandall or Herman Munster? Uh, I gotta say Judd because it's just more, co- more quotable. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely more quotable. <clears throat> I, I, uh, fuck. <laughs> Herman Munster was more gay. <laughs> really bugged me when I was a kid. Um, but man, he was so bad as Judd Crandall. <laughs> Actually, you know where he was good? <laughs> the judge and my cousin Vinny. Yeah. I liked him in that. <laughs> Haven't liked Utes? him. Utes? What's a Ute? Yeah. Aside from that, uh, I'm just not, <clears throat> not a fan. But continue. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, this family... Um, they move into this house right on this industrial road where all the big semis go flying by. Um, one thing leads to another. Young child, Gage, gets hit by one of these trucks. So, of course, the dad has this brilliant idea that he's going to bury him in the pet cemetery so that he can come back. But the things that come back aren't the same things that get buried. Um, which, by the way, is this a zombie movie? I was going to ask you that. <laughs> is it a zombie movie? Yeah. No. No, you don't think so? Mm-mm. We have this debate every time like something is resurrected from the dead. Because at one point, Gage does bite his neck. He like rips his throat out, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I... They're reanimated. Reanimated. They're infused with the... Again, if you read the fucking book... <laughs> It explains why the Micmac burial ground was sour. Um, <laughs> and and I'm, I don't mean to walk on you, but... No, oh, no, by okay. all means. Um, no, there's actually an evil spirit that's, you know, thousands of years old that the Micmac tribe believed they'd harnessed to bring back their dead and realized, oh, I'm a big fucking mistake that is, you know. Right. Um, but the spirit still there and it, it, it sort of lays dormant until someone goes in there and you know tries to utilize the ground to, um, excuse me to, um, <laughs> to to resuscitate one of its dead but it's not that they're, they're not zombies they're just infused with this evil spirit and they're just evil they're not, they're All not right. feeding they're just evil when they come back makes sense especially as you explained before just the common thread in, in uh, Stephen King books just like an ancient evil that just is kind of eternal. But anyway. Um, yeah, so that's the base premise. And then, you know, shit goes wrong because yada, yada, yada. Yeah, getting to some of the finer details. Um, there's a character named Victor Pascal who um, he... Uh, the... The main guy, whose name is now escaping me. Uh, 
Creed. Lewis Creed. Lewis. Lewis, thank you. Um, is is a doctor, and he just gets the job at this university. And his his first day, um, he gets this kid brought in who got hit by a truck, and that's Victor Pascal, and he ends up dying on his table, and then he comes back and haunts him. And I remember when I was a kid, Victor Pascal scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember being pretty creeped out by him myself. <laughs> Ripped open skull. <laughs> yeah, just like exposed yeah. brain and like one eye one was just eye, completely yeah. white. Yeah. He's just bleeding and like he's got like a flap of his head just hanging out. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for a movie that didn't seem, I mean, like, obviously this is the 80s, um, so effects weren't what they are now. Um, it did seem like their, their effects budget might have been minimal, but... That head wound, that was something else. Yeah, it was heinous. Um, and then there's Zelda, who was uh, Lewis's wife's, Rachel, her sister, that they talk about. And that character, like, I never found scary. But I know a lot of people who are like, Zelda fucking scared the shit out of me. I think I had nightmares about Zelda. <laughs> she had spinal bifida. Meningitis. Meningitis. Oh. And, uh, I figured they're close, but... And she, she, she was bedridden, and she just was deformed. And I mean, she's she's definitely creepy looking. She never she definitely played by a man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, she just had those very rigid features, like a man would. But it was kind of played off as having been, you know, starving and just sick. So yeah, um, yeah. She never scared me, but I, I do know a lot of people that say that she was the scariest thing I've ever seen. I, mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do remember being very creeped out by her as a as a child. <laughs> um, so yeah, some of the, the other finer details, like the the little girl, um, she kind of cursed God a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and she was a total like over actor. The acting is not great in this. No, it's really not. I actually have that in my notes here, like. Pretty much everybody in the movie was over, like, it was like, who could overact more? If you want to destroy a movie, <laughs> if you want to make any movie bad, the Uwe Bowl of acting is Dale Midkiff. <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever cast that guy. That's Lewis? Yeah. Yeah. He's horrible. He was bad. In, in everything he does. What was that? I remember watching this show with you back in, like, God, it was probably the early 90s. He was like a cop from the future or yeah. something. What was that called? You. <laughs> fucking bad actor from the future or something. <laughs> I don't know. It, was just, it was awful I mean yeah I remember being a kid and thinking that show was shit Hambone I mean it's <clears throat> um, he played Elvis in a in a in a movie that was you know taken from a, from uh, Priscilla's autobiography right which I didn't read but apparently it was quite a good book and it's just like oh my god you just <laughs> want to insult the memory of King you know you you, you fuck <laughs> God damn it! This <laughs> is me off all over again. Time tracks. That was it. Lasted all U- of two seasons. Yeah, UPN. UPN's claim to fame. Was that UPN? Pretty sure. Yeah, before they were mercifully absorbed <laughs> by Warner Brothers. <laughs> um, no, it. it uh, yeah, b- bad acting, overacting, combined with bad actors. I mean. Denise Crosby, she's okay. She's a character actor. You know, she's certainly not a star. Yeah, she uh, God was her character in um, Tasha Yar. That's right. In uh, <clears throat> Next Generation. Yeah. 
I think uh, the baby that played Gage may have been the best actor in the whole thing. Yeah, and that, you know, that kid, everything I've ever seen him in, he was just a total creep. Yeah. Um, what was his name? Uh, Miko Hughes. I mean, he went on, he was in uh, Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was in uh, New Nightmare. He played uh, Heather Langenkamp's son, well, fictional son. Oh, right. I didn't realize that was him. I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm, I'm going to check that now, just now that I said that. Uh, yeah, New Nightmare. Yeah, that's him. Right. Um, yeah, that kid has always creeped me out. Oh, and he's in Mercury Rising too. Played that autistic kid. That was him. Yeah, that was Gage Creed. Yeah, I liked him better when he was autistic. <laughs> I was gonna say the, the people will, the Stephen King diehards will say, and I've heard this countless times. This is the most horrifying book he's ever written. Really? Going, what? It's it's a it's a scary story, but it what's so horrifying? Well, bringing back you know, defying you know the the you know God's plan and bringing back the dead. <laughs> it's done a thousand fucking times a day in movies and, and yeah. in general. It's like this is no, it's not the most horrifying. But I mean, I'm talking about an, a, a legion of fans that think that this is just the scariest, most horrifying story he's ever written. Like, That's man, insane. I ain't seen it. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. No, <clears throat> but um, <clears throat> like the rest of his books though is it the only thing that makes it creepy as it is is character development yeah. think about it story's thin as water sure you know? yeah I mean it's just like okay you're next to a boneyard you bury people there it infuses them with evil they come back to life they you know they just do evil nasty things and you gotta stop burying people there and you gotta destroy what you created boom that's it yeah. Book storyboard on this thing is like not even storyboard. It's a board. <laughs> it's it's thin. It's thin. <clears throat> so it's all character development. Why, um, you know, marital trouble between the couple. Um, the uh, Judd, the old man's uh, whole reason he's there. Why he hasn't left. You know, sort of like this guardian of the 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 burial grounds mm-hmm. that you know hasn't hasn't been disturbed since uh, the World War Two vet came back. Yeah, there was his body came back, and the dad buried him. You know, so for thirty years, nothing much has happened. But he's like the self-appointed guardian of this to make sure it doesn't happen again, and then he does it anyway. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, um, that's what so I got. Those rationale is explained in the in the in the in the book in the pages of the book. Mm-hmm. So in the movie, it comes off as all this stuff happens in this regimented format. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about and Judd. Mid- yeah. <laughs> Talking about Judd, um, like you said, he's kind of like this self-appointed watcher, um, your, your guardian. Uh, and then, like you said, he knowingly tells or tells um, Lewis to go bury the cat there. Yeah, um, he leads him there. Yeah, and it's like he keeps bouncing back and forth, and it makes it's like Judd is full of shit, man. <laughs> What I found funny is when the, when they're first going to the you know the place beyond, and they're walking over all these rocks and sticks and bridges and whatever, and Lewis is like bitching the whole time. It's like, dude, Judd is ninety seven years old and he's making this trek. Shut the fuck up. Look <laughs> at if you read the book, the the 
they call it a briar patch. <clears throat> it's between the pet cemetery and you know the burial grounds beyond. Yeah, and that's this briar patch was like this nature put it there to keep people away from there. No one planted it; it just sort of grew there. And mm. It was like this 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 mountainous wall of this shit. If you've ever seen briar, it's it's a mess. I mean, it's 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 like blackberry vines times a million. You know? Right. Yeah. And um, the just I mean the detail in what they went through climbing that the first time. And, you know, going through Lewis Creed's head, he goes, you know, my God, somebody carried a body over this, a human body, you know, to mm-hmm. get to that burial. I mean, it's just this detail. It's like, man, why is he doing this? Yeah. You give up halfway through. It's, like, yeah. it's miserable. You're, you're, you're almost killing yourself. Gashes in his legs and stuff that had to be stitched up. And just, you know, trying to climb over this just to go make this happen. And then when he goes to put, um, where do they go put back the cat, I guess? Bury the cat. No, no. In the movie, it's the cat. No, they get the cat. The cat comes back. It's all messed up. And then he, he goes back. It's all messed up. <laughs> it's all messed up. <laughs> nah, there's, there's, God damn it. It's been too long since I've read it. But <clears throat> the thing that's that's possessing the grounds actually kind of rises through some of the trees. It's this, it's this evil image. And he's running like hell to get away from it. It's like, oh, I really fucked up now. So it's like the whole reality of what he's been doing you know what he what he what he, what he did. What the people before him did, sort of came came home, seeing this ghostly image, and he's running like hell. You know, runs back through those briars again, cuts the shit up, himself, <laughs> almost kills himself. Except it's these levels of detail that they just, you know, it's it's like it's all mist in there. It's like the risks to it to his own personal safety just to make this happen and have it turn out such a disaster. It's it's you know it's intangibles that make the story a good story and make the movie lacking those makes the movie crap yeah um and a woman director <laughs> so um is this Mary Lambert Mary Lambert yeah. yeah you won't make any I won't make any friends on your podcast I'm sure oh no women directors suck <laughs> right across the board Penny Marshall she made some funny stuff she made big Amy Sorry. Amy Heckerling did alright in the 80s <laughs> I don't know who that is she did Fast Times, or eh, whatever. Any any woman director that turned out a good movie, a man was behind her. Don't. <laughs> women directors suck, <clears throat> especially horror directors. You know, I meant to watch through the credits to see if they had the "No animals were harmed during the making of this movie" disclaimer because. He did some things to that cat. <laughs> yeah, especially like at the end when he like injected it. Yeah, um, and then like he puts it down and it just kind of like it looks like it's still a, a living cat. Hopefully, well, I, I, well, is I say hopefully. I don't give a shit. I hope it was dead. <laughs> injecting water into a cat is that considered harming it? No, but, but the I mean, way just it just laid down, there, it just kind of like crumples. Like it, I don't know. They must have given it some kind of tranquilizer or something. Well, actually, if you said at the end all animals were harmed. In the film, this movie—it's a true statement. I mean, if you, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. like, does anybody even read that? First of all, and they did, it's like, Peter, Peter will. The fuck, they said it all. Yeah, Peter will attack him for a movie that was made over twenty years ago. <clears throat> um, it was a cat. <laughs> fucking cat. Peter wants yeah. Pike Place to throw fake fish. Like, fucking stupid. <laughs> fuck off. Uh, there's um. I love the taste of orca. <laughs> Mmm, dolphin. Let's make tuna so tasty when dolphins in it. 
Uh, this movie also had a gratuitous uh, Stephen King cameo. Yep. <laughs> which seemed pretty common up till probably, I guess, maybe The Stand. I think I don't think he was in anything after that, or like any adaptations of his own work um, that I can recall anyway. We got run over. Excuse me. Salute. So, I mean, he got fucked up when he got run over. I mean, well, were shattered, and I mean, I mean, he probably wasn't up to starring in any movie there. Fair I mean, enough. Um, yeah. Um, I, I got some questions here. <laughs> I got some questions. I, want I need answer. answers. <laughs> um, when when Gage gets hit by gets hit by the truck, the truck flips over. Did anyone check on the driver? <laughs> A truck flipped over? Yeah. How did I miss that? I don't know. I just... You sure about that? Yeah. (sighs) Well, it's on its side. Hmm. I was more focused on the little baby shoe, and maybe I'm a sick asshole, but I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, you you are. (laughs) I think that's a sick asshole. the, The little baby shoe... Covered in blood, just bouncing off in slow motion, and him down on his knee, like uh, Midkiff just, just no, <laughs> the little shoe, it's like, oh my god, this is hilarious. Say a wee more emotion. <laughs> um, so another question I have: the the scene where Zelda dies, and Rachel's the only one home. It says she said she runs out of the house, but she runs like downstairs, and there's those people there. I don't know if those are her family members or neighbors or. They just stood there emotionless. Yeah, why is there all these fucking creepy gingers downstairs? <laughs> Maybe they cross over with Children of the Corn or something. <laughs> Let me think about that for a second. There's, there's these three like ginger kids. One's blonde, but she's still got like all the freckles, and they just stand there vacant, dead-eyed. While well, a little girl runs out of the house like this. Oh my god! <laughs> I can't place that in the movie or in the book, so. And that's the other thing too is the whole thing with the sister she was dying for a long time <clears throat> and the mother kept sticking the care of the sister with uh rachel rachel and so here's whatever was eight ten years old or a little girl having to care for this uh <clears throat> the sister and it, it it goes to an evolution where the sister wasn't insane the whole time and she was getting sicker and she explained to her i'm getting very very sick you know and and uh they were actually, you know, buddy sisters at one point. And then she starts losing her, you know, losing her mind, becoming that, you know, bony monster mm-hmm. person. Yeah. And it started to scare her. But again, it's an evolution that explains why she was so terrified when she got left alone. It's like it, I can't because she's not my sister anymore. Kind of right. Um, the uh, I mean, the, the movie did a good job of making her look scary, but I mean, for those. Anybody who's listening, or you guys, you know, have been around someone who has gotten progressively ill, you sort of don't see that anymore. Yeah, you, know, you don't. You don't see that they're getting ill and sicker and sicker and sicker. You just, they're just, you know, it's grandma or it's dad or whoever. Right. Yeah. Um, here, the story actually elaborates on why she became so scary because she was losing her fucking mind. Yeah. Her mind was going before her body was going. Yeah, and they kind of glaze over that. Yeah. But they they touch on it very briefly when Lewis says, you know. He says, if I needed more reason to hate your parents, now I have yeah. it, because they made you care after your sister, who was probably clinically insane at that point. Yeah. That was the only mention of it. Yeah. But it was a, you know, like, you know, it's any other thing, any other book that's adapted to a movie, there's more detail in there that makes... Well, yeah, I mean, you got to cram everything down into yeah. two hours. But the hatred the parents have for him and vice versa, again, they don't really... 
get into that too much other than they just don't like each other. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's there but it's it's not doesn't go into a whole mm-hmm. great detail. Like it gauges funeral when the dad yells at Lewis, tells him it's all his fault, then punches him. Yeah. Knocks over the casket. That pretty much would have been it for me. I would have I would have murdered him right there. Yeah. <clears throat> um there was a lot of emphasis on faith i think in this which i seem i feel like that's a common theme in stephen king works it does a not necessarily like god i guess but like what people believe is the is the reason for everything and like what happens after they die and things like that i found a lot of that in in this like i said the little girl does like Badmouth God a lot. Yeah, and like she had, before the cat even dies, she's like, "I don't want him to die. He's not God's cat. He's my cat." Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess a lot of it was mainly brought up by the little girl, um, Ellie. Ellie. And um, are we going to talk about the remake later? We can. All right. <clears throat> um. I think the question that I had almost immediately in the movie is what kind of irresponsible asshole parents move into a house with little children on that road? They weren't. They didn't know. How do you not know? The the uh, the company Orenco that owned the trucks. Uh huh. They um, were. Let's see, I'm trying to remember how this went. Basically, they were told by county council, whatever they they couldn't drive on that road anymore, and so, you know, when he bought they bought the house, it was with the understanding that that those trucks wouldn't be coming up and down that road anymore, mm-hmm. and basically the drivers of the trucks, you know, did one of these, and it's like you know, who's going to stop us kind of thing. So that's why that and they'd fly down that road too, mm-hmm. intentionally drive fast on the road to pick <clears> up time. It was sort of like a like a shortcut. See, I don't think that was explained in the movie at all. No, no, it wasn't. no I mean that's why that truck was there. <clears throat> Um, and you know, answer that question. Why would you move to a, you know, a, a, a state route kind of thing where trucks are flying up and down the road? Yeah, they weren't supposed to be there. Got it. There you go. So it's just another thing that could have been easily explained with just thirty seconds worth of explanation. Movie director. <laughs> like there's there's even a, there's a scene where Judd's talking about the, the trucks flying up and down the, the road, but he never says you know they're not supposed to and the but they do it anyways. No, in the yeah. movie, the context of the movie, it's just a given that they're there. Yeah. You know, it's like, but I mean, that's an extra, like Tony said, 30 seconds of dialogue that could have yeah. been added. It's that damn rod. You don't want to go down that rod. <laughs> what is that? Huh? It's the hamster. Oh, the hamster. That's fat ass Hans over there. Um, yeah. And I think my, my favorite part is, <laughs> When when Gage, right after Gage kills Judd, and I'm not going to say spoiler alert because there's a fucking moratorium on this shit. It's been 25 years. <laughs> um, and then Rachel comes in and sees him. What the fuck is he wearing? <laughs> He's got the top hat and the cane. And a dress. <laughs> Apparently he was buried in a dress. <laughs> Any answers for that one? <laughs> Well, he's got his top, it's, it's, it's top hat and a cane. Like he's gonna go, hello, my darling, hello. <laughs> 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 
picture him as in that like a blue onesie. Was, that scalpel. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It was like a fucking like crushed velvet dress looking yeah. thing. It's just like a zip up onesie thing. Like no, it no, had it was, a, it was a dress. It had a fancy billowy bottom. <laughs> Maybe she wanted a daughter. <laughs> Again, woman director. <laughs> Uh, but easily the funniest thing in the movie. <laughs> funniest thing in this horrible <laughs> graphic horror movie. <laughs> was right after Lewis injected Gage with, I don't know, antifreeze or whatever. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> that is creepy. I, I yeah, sort of a fucking dress and a top hat <laughs> and a cane. You I gotta assume that's Judd's, but I, mean, <laughs> I blame the parents. <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, so Lewis injects um, Gage with some kind of poison to kill him. <clears throat> Reanimator goo. Right. And he goes walking down the hall, and then he falls over like he's drunk. First he goes, not fair. Yeah. That was, that was cool. <laughs> not fair. Um, yeah, that kid took a tumble. Yeah. He bonked his head straight on the wall. Look at that. Like, that's my most pronounced note. Drunk baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he just like stumbles and like trips over. There's a chair or something. I think. I think he just stumbles over his own feet and falls on the wall. Like, yeah, and then he just go home, Gage. You're drunk. <laughs> well, see, they couldn't be cruel to animals. They didn't say they couldn't get kids some bourbon and Kool Aid. Uh so yeah. Um, God, what else? The only requirement is the parents be there. Fuck. Got the check with us. Drink. Yeah, I'll sign whatever you want. Fuck him up. I don't. Um, how come Rachel couldn't see or hear Pascal? Look, he was, he was a ghost. Well, how come Lewis could then? Well, Lewis couldn't. He knew someone. The daughter uh, was was insinuating there was someone named Paxal. She was saying it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, she knew something was there, but no one, none of them could see uh, Pascal. He just was there. He was trying to to use what he could. He was trying to help get them to get. Lewis to you know change his plans get away but I don't think Lewis ever heard him it, it, it made you think at the end a little bit like well I mean the movie I can't speak for the book but in the movie at the end when he's carrying Rachel's body back obviously with the intent of burying her at the mm-hmm. Micmac grounds um uh hmm? Micmac <laughs> Micmac <laughs> um <laughs> <clears throat> He, uh, it, it, it kind of makes you think that he's actually talking to Pascal. Well, like, when he first sees Pascal, Pascal, like, wakes him up and takes him to the pet cemetery. That's right. And then he wakes up in the morning thinking it was a dream. He's not, he's not conscious when he does that. that he, he takes him in his sleep, right? That's yeah. what he thinks, but then he wakes up and his feet are dirty. So but, he, but he didn't consciously ever see Pascal. He made the connection that what he was seeing in his... You know, in his sleep or whatever, he made the connection to what his daughter was trying to say, Pascal, or however she was pronouncing it. I think yeah. he put it all together. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he ever actually consciously saw him. Hmm. Maybe it's just up for uh, interpretation. interpretation, I guess. I mean, because he does continually say, like, I want to wake up because he thinks he's dreaming. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it very could, easily could have been that he was. Pascal was visiting him in his dreams um, and that he was sleepwalking. I mean, something as simple as that. Yeah. So. Um, One thing I do remember in the book, I read so long ago, but I do remember this. 
is the description of that head. <laughs> Chips of bone sticking out no. and stuff that, that moved when he talked. It's like they moved back and forth. Oh, man. <laughs> I just know when, he's, when he f- first dies and he's in there laying on the on the table and Lewis is just sitting with him, um, that he's just sitting there and Lewis is basically talking to a dead body and then suddenly just this blood starts oozing down from the wound. Um, that was pretty pretty grim. But um, I couldn't tell what um, what Pascoff said to him either when he first, either before he died or like right after he died. He, he said when he first sat up. And he, I know he said that the the soil of a man's soul is stony. Yeah. But then he said something after that, and I, I couldn't make it out. And then later, Judd says the same thing. I don't remember. So I love a man. So oh, Stony, <laughs> Stony. <laughs> let's just, let's do the whole rest of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> in that voice. So another question I have. Fucking Stony and I was doing like the it review in that voice. <laughs> Uh, oh, hell, they all float. <laughs> We're all going to die down there. <laughs> oh, you don't want to go down there. <laughs> all right. Beep, so- beep, Richie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck. Um <clears throat> All right, so anything else? Um, at, at the very end when, when Rachel comes back, what happened to her eye? <laughs> I don't know. Why was her eye gone? I guess Gage stabbed it out, maybe. Because I mean, you never like, actually saw her dead. It was just like leaking. Feet dangling from a... That's right, she dropped down from the... Yeah. That's, yeah, I have that in my notes. Both, of the, <laughs> both her and Judd are gone when Lewis gets there. Did he, this little baby, drag these fucking giant bodies? He's got superhuman strength. Yeah. In fact, correct me if I'm wrong, on Judd, he cuts his Achilles, makes him fall down, he cuts him across the mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And isn't there a scene where you see Judd's legs being dragged out of camera? Or am I, am I confused now? I, I, yeah, I think you're confused okay. with something else. I don't remember I that. I think I'm like, you don't see Gage, you just see Judd's, the, like the, Because you know, Judd's yeah. under, the, under the bed. Right, but he's not, he was dragging him out of the room or something. I don't recall. Okay. Maybe I'm, yeah, okay. yeah, the thing I always got is like, wow, he's string Martin up there. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess something that we kind of talked about briefly earlier is just, like I mentioned that Judd is just absolutely full of shit because he buried his own dog in the burial grounds when he was a kid, and it came back to life, and he ended up shooting the fucking thing. So he knew the repercussions of burying something in there and yet he allowed Lewis he actually showed Lewis what to do like step by step <laughs> he showed him where he had to stand on the branches to get up there um, well, like when, they, when they took the cat he didn't tell him what he was doing no but he instructed him on how to bring the cat back simply because the little girl was already a loser and Frederick hot um, <laughs> man must bury his own but, I mean, then he tells him about his dog and tells him about the, the World War II kid who got killed and his dad brain went Timmy. up there. Huh? Timmy. Timmy, yeah. Tells him what a shit show that was. Basically tells him that sometimes dad is better. 
Um, but this is, I just, he shows him how shows him how to do it, and, and then says, tells him not to. Do it. Yeah, it's like it's like here you go, Alki. Here's this bottle of beer, <laughs> but don't you drink it. I'm going to show you the best way to open this bottle without getting any head, but don't you drink it. <laughs> um, anyway, so you know what? I'm uh, too long since I read the book. I'm, I'm wondering. He's grooming Lewis to be the new uh, overseer. Oh, okay. Because <clears throat> I don't. Is it in the movie where Lewis's hair turns all gray? Nope. Okay. Um, that happens when it's, when it's all over. <clears throat> when uh, yeah, the movie ends with the wife coming back and she's all fucked up. You still see her from the back, right? You see her from the front, and like she has for some reason her eye is gone and it's leaking, and then they make out and he gets eye goo in her in his mouth, and it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> right. Okay. In the. I think he, he God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably screw this up, and the people that really have read this book recently are gonna say he's full of shit. We're gonna get angry emails about you. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> like he won't be the only. One. <laughs> he, he's like sitting against his house. Um, Gage is dead. Wife's dead, and I'm not sure if he took her back there or decided not to bury her and left her there. Where she came back and he, he killed her again. I, I don't remember what he did with her, but he's 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 done. Everybody's gone now. Don't the grandparents take the kid? They take the daughter. Yeah, yeah. she's okay. she's back in Chicago. Chicago. So anyway, so he's yeah, sitting in the house, and the, and the and the sheriff or somebody is approaching him, saying, "What the fuck happened?" And he's totally gray. He's old. I mean, he's aged. Not not old like like uh, Judd, but um, <clears throat> and he's. He says something, and I don't remember what it was, that to imply that... He says, sometimes dad is better. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's, he's the new guy. He's the new guy that's got to make sure... A new gatekeeper. new gatekeeper, yeah. So I'm wondering now... If when I read that, maybe that's something that occurred to me, and I'm totally forgetting now, is that that's why he let him better bury the cat there so he could see for himself mm-hmm. how fucked up things got, and then it did got out of hand. Yeah, that makes so much more sense. I mean, misguided, but it makes more sense. <clears throat> Anywho. Well, I said it again. That's so gay. <laughs> I said it twice last episode. Anywho, that's... <laughs> Welp-a-doodles, guys! <laughs> Fuck you. I'm ashamed of you. <laughs> Speaking as your father, I'm ashamed of you. All right, so... Um... What are people going to say? It's like, Jesus, that guy you brought him on there and the fucking show never ended. <laughs> Seriously, we're at three hours now. My mom's probably wondering where the hell I am. <laughs> we still got another movie. <laughs> I think we should definitely split this into two. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably going to be... We can do one this week and one next week or something. I was thinking maybe we'd do, like... Let's talk about this later. Right. <laughs> um, Producer talk. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, I guess talk numbers here. Okay. You want to go first? Uh, I can if you want, or whatever. Um, well, this this is probably my favorite movie that's based on a Stephen King book. Um, by the way, why is Cemetery spelled wrong? Because it was made by children. The sign was written by 
a kid <clears throat> in the actual pet cemetery. In the movie, Rachel seems to really like really disturbed by it. <laughs> Ellie's like, "What does it say?" She's like, "It says pet cemetery." It's spelled wrong, but that's what it says. <laughs> I feel like she's just a bitch. <laughs> She does have, like, resting bitch face. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm the resting bitch face now. <laughs> oh, look, she married a real hawk. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's... there's, And now, like, hearing the all the differences from the book and, like, how much better it could have been if there was some a lot of things explained... Um, but I think overall, uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to sex. <laughs> um, oh, we're supposed to let the guest go first. I forgot. Could have it right. I could <laughs> just say thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that rating, John. I think you can just, I disagree. Yeah, you can string it all together. <laughs> um, I think this probably maybe might third favorite Stephen King adaptation um, which I think probably falls behind uh, it and uh, The Shining um, but n- nevertheless this is still a great movie I mean and just despite the differences and the the kind of um, things that probably would have been important to this the character and story progression that were obviously present in the book um that notwithstanding um that still a great movie um king did write the screenplay for this one did he i didn't know that Mm -hmm. yeah i'll be goddamned um so yeah i i guess that kind of leaves me um saying that this fuck i'm torn I don't know. I think I'll probably match your rating and say a six. So, what do you think, Dad? It's, it's going to be out of ten. <clears throat> well, apparently I'm a much harsher critic when it comes to the Stephen King adaptations <laughs> in particular. Um, I think it was a horrible movie. Um, <clears throat> a horrible attempt at a, at a Stephen King at an above average Stephen King story, certainly not even close to one of his best works, but one of his better ones on a, on a <clears throat> you know, to definitely to the right of median as far as the overall quality of his work. But the movie adaptation I thought was just an atrocity, especially given that it was a theatrical movie. Um, <clears throat> I've made, I've made a lot of jokes about it, but I'm serious about just, I'm sorry. I've just never seen a woman director pull off a horror movie of any kind that was even remotely palatable that's problem one problem two is they use TV actors in a theatrical movie instead of getting good theatrical movies or, or sorry theatrical actors case in point fucking Dale Midkiff I, mean, I can't even I can't even enough said there <clears throat> you know who would have fucking nailed this one who would have sent this thing over the top Robert Patrick I could see that yeah Robert Patrick would have would have completely sold this movie you know uh um, Denise Crosby, yeah, she's okay. Fucking Fred Gwynn was a caricature. He was a fucking cartoon in this movie. <laughs> you know, put any old guy, put fucking Al Lewis, Grandpa Munster, in there, and he would have probably sold it better than the Herman Munster did. <clears throat> it was a joke. Um, it, it so uh, you know, TV actors in a, in a theatrical movie 
maybe one, the ratio one to three or one to four movie actors versus TV actors, not the other way around. So everything was wrong about how this movie went together. Um, and I think it was a travesty. Um, but I think it did well at the box, if I'm not mistaken. I think it, it, was, it, was, it made money. Um, it, it runs the route on <clears throat> all the independent channels and, and, and still pops up on cable and dish every now and again. So I'll, I'll concede that I'm probably the minority on this. Um, but as a, I don't even say I'm a Stephen King purist because I'm willing to forgive a lot of crap that he's done and crap that's been made from what he's done. This one just was bad, and just I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Did you give a number there? Three. I said three at the beginning. Oh, did you? Okay. I guess I missed that. I missed it, too. <laughs> Sorry. Three. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and uh, it grossed $57 million in North America. So. What it cost? $157 million? No, I imagine that was probably about a, about a $20 million budget. Uh, doesn't say. Oh, budget. 11.5. Okay, so it did well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And it is currently being remade. Well, not currently being remade, but it's in the, in the Slated. processes. And uh, we talked about this on, on another episode, but apparently the plan is to have Ellie be a teenager and have her be the central character. Why? You just make a bad thing worse. You know, two guys I couldn't stomach ever, but they were just something that was something to watch after football was over on Sunday. Your grandfather, my dad, used to call him Fatso and Baldy. It was a uh, e- uh, Roger Ebert and the original guys, Gene Siskel. Mm-hmm. Siskel and Ebert. <clears throat> they were just impossible to listen to. But they came on right after football, so for a half an hour until the news came on, it was something to watch. <clears throat> and... um uh, Roger Ebert always said something that one of the few things I ever agreed with, but I thought it was interesting. He says, people remake classic movies. They take these great movies that did audience favorites, great box office, blah, 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 and they remake them and they t- make a mockery. It's a shit. It's a joke. He goes, may remake a bad one. Yeah. yeah. Take a movie that was crap and do it right. Exactly. And I thought, that seems so smart. You know? I agree. Wholeheartedly. This is a perfect example <laughs> of one that they could do right. And what you just described, making Ellie a teenager, is not it. It's <laughs> being written by Matthew Greenberg, who did 1408. I liked 1408. Um, and uh, now, here, that's funny. I mean, I don't get off on a tangent here. That's one that really didn't stick too much to Stephen King's story. The basic premise is there. Was that, that was a sh- like short a novella, movie. wasn't it? Yeah, another short story. No, yeah, novella. It went off, but it went off on a good tangent. It, it, it created its own momentum. Mm-hmm. It had its own... It, it, it grew its own legs. One of the differences there, Cusack. I think Cusack's a great actor. I think he, yeah. he can take shit and turn it into something pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that about him, and I think that's again a theatrical actor. Yeah, I mean, he makes a difference. I mean, Cusack in particular, he's very dynamic, mm-hmm. uh, and he can sell almost anything. Yeah. You know? um, but uh, yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because that was one that. Buck the odds. It, <clears throat> they, uh, you know, it, it, it like that. It grew its own legs, and it was. I thought it was a very, very well done movie. <clears throat> well, we'll see what what happens with that. They, they, it says they want to appeal to a younger audience, so that's you know. So they want to turn into another carry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's always that frame of mind that <clears throat> that guys from your age and down have the money. 
Is that true? It's like you know, well, buy the records. You guys don't buy records anymore, but you do the downloads. <clears throat> you go rent the videos. You don't pay for any of that shit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying, I'm trying to basically challenge that saying I don't pay for that shit. I know damn good and well my kids don't. <clears throat> um, but but the but the you know the target audience is whoever is spending the money with the advertisers or, or something. So yeah. and, and you know, from this from you guys to about the twelve year olds, that's the target market. So everything's so geared now for a younger audience. It's like I don't know, last I checked, um Mom and I are spending the money. You know? Yeah. It's like yeah. we're the age bracket. You better fucking take care of us. And you better fucking make it so, you know, uh start working on our Medicare concerns. <laughs> <laughs> Prostate exams. Roll some of that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, seriously, it's it's it's. I think it's a twisted version that, or twisted uh, uh, perception that Hollywood has. It's like yeah, appeal to the younger audience. Appeal to the young, why? Yeah, because that younger audience is, uh, is, lasts six years, and they're not young anymore. Well, yeah, they, they look back they, and they think they're going to hook them when they're young and then keep them. That's obviously not going to work because they're going to grow out of that. Yeah, and like something that I think you and I have talked about this before is like trying to introduce a new generation to horror it's gotta be good horror though it, yeah and that's that's something that we we talked about is like how do you expect us to get our kids interested in horror when you're giving a shit like like Carrie I mean yeah. I, I can already I, I already know that my unborn children are gonna be interested in that shit I mean it's like it's something that I'm passionate about you know with horror it's like how am I gonna sell my kids to that on that when I'm going to be showing them movies that I think are good from you know at at that time maybe 30 40 years ago how how am I going to sell that so I mean if they can't have something that's at least close to their generation you know be it actors um the uh, situations uh I mean even down to like filming techniques and graphics and stuff how might how are they going to relate to that? If they, I, I can't show them, like I mentioned earlier, American Werewolf in London, expect them to be impressed. <laughs> so, I mean, <clears throat> when they're just giving me shit to work with nowadays, mm-hmm. I don't know how I'm going to create the next generation of horror fans. Yeah. And the classics are, are running thin, too. I mean, you know, they've got some stuff that will never be remade because it's just they're, they're too great. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're too great. You know, like Gone with the Wind, the original MASH, Top Secret. Top <laughs> Secret. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put anything past them. Funny then, funny now. Oh yeah, <laughs> we just watched it the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you and I watched. I said, "Mom was sitting there watching too." And she just thinks this. She says, "Stupid then, stupid now." Yeah. <laughs> Fucking woman, what does she know? All right, so put it up there with "Gone in the Wind." <laughs> okay, moving on. Yeah, let's let's get to our last point of. Where are you going? Can introduce it, Robert. Taking a leak. <laughs> uh, our last point of business for this episode, which will probably be this will probably be, we started yesterday. It feels like <laughs> yeah. this will probably be part two that you're listening to right now. Um, we're going to uh, talk about the movie that I picked, which was actually originally a, a TV miniseries. Uh, it was Stephen King's. It.
So, uh, it. It. Um, this story is, it, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a hard story to tell, I, I guess. What? It? Yeah. I mean, just to, I, I, speaking from, from the, the, the film version, trying to explain it, because it's, so involved. I mean, this this movie clocks in at just under three hours, um, and it's so involved and so intricate in like so many time jumps. I mean, there there are frequent flashbacks in the movie. Um, well, yeah, there's essentially two timelines, but it's not like here's timeline A, and then when that's over, here's timeline B. They're interspersed, right? And actually. I mean, you would probably remember this better than either of us would. When it was originally airing, did they play it? I mean, was it the nineteen fifty and then nineteen ninety ninety, or I mean, did they do it that way, or did they have all the flashbacks in the original version? No, it, it went back. You mean the original version? There was only one TV version. We, That's what I'm talking about. When it was like when it was, <clears throat> he means like while it was airing. Yeah, it opened up with that little girl. Uh, present day. Okay. Disappearing, and then it went back to when. Uh, so it jumped back and forth. Yeah, okay. the, the league of Bill, right, and his brother Georgie. Yeah, first encountered it. Um, okay, so yeah, I mean, like I said, this is stories told from basically two points in time. Um, the main story, the main focus, takes place in 1990, <clears throat> um, but also has flashbacks to 19. Is it 1950? It's 30 years earlier, so 60. 1960, okay. Well, okay. I know the the original book took place in 1950, I believe. Mm, I don't remember exactly, but... It is 60 in the movie, because he he specifically says... Oh, you're right. Okay, it's 19... Sorry, the, the novels, 1957 and 1958, and then 1984 to 1985. Yeah. I mean, and the time deltas are... 27 years apart between the killings so they made it for retards in the TV audience so let's make it 1960 let's make it 30 years so the math is easy right yeah, yeah. they just kind of made it a nice round number yeah um, basically this is a story of a gang of kids that just threw random gang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're they're the, about the crips they're the self-proclaimed um, losers club uh they just kind of met each other through random occurrences. Happenstance. Yeah, random happenstance. Um, it's such like a cliche Motley Crue group of people, too. They really like are. Got, like the nerd kid wearing glasses. You got the fat kid, the black kid, the Jew, the kid <laughs> with the stutter, and, of course, the abused girl. Right. Um, it's told... F- the, 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 the film starts out with um, the, the black kid grown up in into a middle mid 40s man um played by the dad from sister sister <laughs> yeah keep going played by venus flytrap on wkrp <laughs> that's a little bit more mistake time. number one <laughs> um 
Yeah, so it, it's Tim Reed. He, he plays Mike Hanlon. Um, he is a librarian there in in Derry, Maine, which where all this takes place. Is that a real town? Derry? No. Yeah. Okay, I didn't think so. It, it, a lot. Of, I think a lot of Stephen King stories yeah. take place in Derry. Derry is his um, is, is a home base for a lot of his horror stories. Okay. Um, he's from Banger. Banger. Who isn't? Um. So I mean, God, I'm having a hard time explaining this. Hey, there is just start with the 1960, and then okay. So instead of trying to tell it as it happens in the movie, just yeah, okay. In in, um, in 1960, there is, like I said, a, a group of seven kids that have met each other through random occurrences, and they all kind of have one thing in common. They've all bared witness to these strange sightings of, of these creatures. Uh, I mean, uh, the a werewolf, um, creature, uh, uh, like moldy, moss-covered skeletons rising up from a... a, a, a Sewer drain. Um, a, God, a, a mummy of some sort. Their their deepest fear. Yeah, and yeah, that's manifestation of their deepest fear. That's essentially what, what it is, and they all track it back to uh, basically this clown named Pennywise, who act, is in all actuality essentially like a faceless creature. You never really know its true form, um, but they have they basically decipher that this thing has been around for generations upon generations and it comes out every 30 years to feed upon children and feeds upon their fears and um, tracks it you know drags them into their lair and so the main character for all intents and purposes is Bill is Stephen King huh is Stephen King Bill is Stephen King. Yeah, pretty much. Um, his brother George is actually killed by Pennywise, this clown, um, who's played by Tim Curry. Easily one of his best roles, I think. Um, and so that, that kind of prompts them to track down it. And because they it's like they refuse to call him man because they know he's not. They, they know he's some kind of thing, so they just refer to it as it. You track it down into the sewers and attack it, and it, it, it's it's weird the ways they attack it. Um, things that you know, especially us as adults, you, you look at it and you think that's stupid, but it's just kind of based in fantasy the way they attack it, and it retreats. But they know it's not dead, and so Bill makes all they make they make a a pact. All seven of them agree that if that thing should ever come back, that they all swore to return to Derry and take it out once and for all. Jump forward thirty years. All these kids have moved on. They've they've moved across the country. Um, Bill is a is a writer in actually he moves he's moved to England. Um, um, Ben is an architect. Uh, Eddie is 
he, I guess he owned the limo company. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bev. Be- Bev is, or Beverly. She's like a, a fashion designer. Richie is a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Um, so they've all moved on. And the thing is, is the only one that stayed in Derry is Mike. And he stayed on as a librarian. Um, almost just kind of like you mentioned earlier with um, with Judd being kind of like a, a, a guardian. You know, the, the one that has to stand watch. That's exactly why he stayed, just to make sure the thing was dead. Yeah. <clears throat> when it was supposed to be time for it to feed again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he notices that children are starting to disappear and or be found murdered, um, he knows that it's back. And so he calls all seven of the loser club, or, you know, uh, minus himself, obviously, so all six of the other losers that call him back, call them back to Derry and... It's it's amazing that none of them really remember anything. Like they've all, f- for all, almost completely forgotten what it, what had happened thirty years ago. <clears throat> but they all return, save for Stan, who pops out. <laughs> yeah, the hard way, or the easy way, I guess. <laughs> um, and they all return to Derry and the memories start to flood back in and they start to remember exactly what happened to them 30 years ago and they resolve that they have to go back and they have to kill it. I mean, just as they swore 30 years ago, they have to to kill it once and for all. So, I I guess that's it. I mean, and... Oh, you said it. (laughs) And the story is, it's not told chronologically. I mean, I guess you might say that the wraparound is present day or, or you know 1990 but then each character will flash back to a particular interaction that it had with it right or they had with it um and the way it preyed upon their fears so it's a very non-linear story and it's it it's uh hard to follow at times i think especially because it's so long yeah um, and like I mentioned, this originally aired as a miniseries. Um, it's actually a two-part, and you know, about an hour and a half each time, or each part. So, um, essentially, watching two movies, right, back to back. So, I mean, I, I guess that's basically it. But um, let's talk a little bit about the cast. There's, there's some pretty. Recognizable faces in this one. There's there's a few. I mean, um, we got John Ritter played <laughs> R.I.P. Um, played the older Ben. Um, uh, Annette O'Toole played Beverly. Um, Harry Anderson played Richie. And he didn't do any magic. I know. What's up with that? <laughs> Seth Green plays young Richie. Right. Justin Brandis is young Bill. Yeah. Uh, John Brandis also no longer with us because he hung himself in his fucking closet. <laughs> Whacking off or just? I don't know. I, I don't. I details. I have it in my head. That's how he died. Details, man. No, I details. I mean, I don't know if it was Jack Knott, but he he did hang himself in his fucking closet. I don't know if it was in his closet. <laughs> they don't give that many details. Makes a difference, man. Uh yeah. Um. 
see. Oh, Tim Reed. Um, yeah, so it, a lot of not, I mean, as opposed to, like you mentioned with Pet Cemetery, a lot of TV actors. Mm-hmm. These are actually, like, a lot of legitimate film actors. And Harry Who? Uh, John and, Ritter. John Ritter. Tim Curry. These are TV guys. Annette O'Toole. Um, Tim Reed. Venus Flytrap. <laughs> anyway. Oh, and then also Emily. I feel like that uh, guy on the SNL, the guy from the 1700s that re- um, Taron Killam plays him on Weekend Update. He just say like, rips everything, every play. <laughs> like, oh. Garbage! Yeah. <laughs> he throws his cards out. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Oh, he's like a critic from like, a the critic. 1700s yeah. or something. <laughs> he just hates everything. <laughs> Uh, also, Emily, it, it took me forever to figure this out, but Emily Perkins plays the uh, the young Beverly, and she played, um, God, was it Angela, I think, in Ginger Snaps? She's Ginger's sister. Mm. Um, and then also she played... A, a, I saw her name in the credits, and I was thinking of Elizabeth Perkins. So did I. It's funny you meant because she said, okay, big deal. What's the big deal? Yeah. Um, and she also, she was in Supernatural. She played um, that's the supernatural novels, the, that fangirl. Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, Ginger Snaps, the uh, Ginger, she's in Hannibal. Oh, is she? She all wrote up. Wow, she turned into a beautiful woman. Yeah, she was on. Um, she was smoking. She was on this past well, the final season of Being Human. <laughs> oh, she. Yeah, she... Being Human. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway, um, so I find it funny that um, Ben, played by John Ritter, when he's talking about himself as a kid, I'm like, as a kid, yeah, he's he's a hefty little kid, but he's like, oh man, I was enormous, I was a big old fatty, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like no, you weren't that big, yeah, he was about the size that I was when I was a kid, size a lot of kids were, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never got a touch of body dysmorphia there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one character I forgot to mention was actually um, Henry Bower, uh, Henry Bowers, who is kind of, I mean, aside from he's the local tough, it, yeah, he's 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 a local greaser tough. <laughs> um, Stephen King loves his greaser bad guys. Doesn't yeah, he, he does. Um, like watching this, all I could think of was Kiefer Sutherland in Stand by Me as Ace. <laughs> um, what are you going to do? Shoot us all? No, Ace. Just, just you. you. <laughs> um, Suck my fat one. <laughs> uh, but it seems like throughout the movie, like well, mainly in the flashbacks, and at one point in the in the current timeline, um, he keeps making these attempts to attack the kids. You know, with his little gang of hoodlums, um, and it never fucking works and like he keeps saying I'm gonna kill you I'm gonna kill you all and like every time he tries to attack him something just goes wrong for him and may I elaborate <laughs> sure <laughs> or I don't want to walk on your no good okay <clears throat> something that was horribly left out of the TV movie was why that is he was just a punk with a little gang of punks yeah something he didn't realize and something those kids the gang of seven barely realizes when they were the gang of seven 
they had this innate ability to protect each other and they had you know powers of uh, of uh, of defense and and uh, basically a supernatural power that they didn't even know they had that's right. why he could never get to them when they were together when he got uh, Ben down in the barrens and kicked his ass he was by himself when right. they were together and something that again was just sorely left out was the apocalyptic rock fight up there when it, they just, it was a incidental thing where that he takes the Mike takes a picture on that old crane or whatever old train yeah and then they kind of come over the hill and they had that rock fight yeah hits him in the leg oh you hit me in the leg it's like no that was a turning point in that era of the story because that's where Henry's life starts to go off the rails. Mm. He's just a punk. He's just a punk that would have probably outgrow it, never you know, be a stock worker or something like that. But he's, his life goes off the rails after that. His gang sort of leaves him and stuff, and he starts going psycho after that rock fight because he that should never have happened. He right. should have been able to tear them apart, single-handedly almost, but with his buddies. And that's because together they were almost unstoppable. They just didn't know it. Right. Pennywise knew it. He was terrified of them. Mm-hmm. He knew what they didn't about them. <clears throat> and that's why he would uh, try to attack them. That's why he was going after them one by one, trying right. to get them alone. And <clears throat> the, the, the TV movie did nothing to... Yeah, they definitely... They really worked. didn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, like... He, you're talking about them having like, like, a, like a supernatural power together. Um, just just mystical defense or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, it... I think even in in this, if you look kind of look deeper, look beyond what's just on the screen, you can kind of get that vibe. But they never really address it at all. Um, it's just something you have to kind of infer. Um, it's it's just a, it's like a given that they're they're badasses when they're together. Yeah. But it's like again, I just watched it last night, and it's like you don't draw any distinction that <clears throat> they are susceptible supernatural going on well not so much that it's just that they're susceptible when they're apart yeah you know when <clears throat> and it's the same as adults you know when they left Derry they went on to be very very successful um because they'd beaten Pennywise right and that was just the the the, the, the nature of the universe you know made them all very very successful provided Derry and that whole episode was left behind well who do you think was behind that Pennywise mm-hmm. he made sure they were successful where they were so that they never did exactly what they ended up doing coming back you never see that in a TV movie it's like it's huge you, gotta, yeah. <laughs> you know their whole motivation for doing what they did in their lives yeah yeah I mean like just the stuff you're saying like, I mean just hearing about it I mean obviously I, you know like I mentioned I, I read it when I was a kid um but that's, well, I didn't know you actually read it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I read it for. See, it's it's like a waffle, like the movie is a waffle, and you're just like filling in the syrup. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, re- I read it back in elementary school when you know you got you got points for how many pages you read. <laughs> These big fat ass books, dictionary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I read it and then I enjoyed it. But these are the things that, as a child, that I, I did, didn't really absorb. Like four times I've read that book because I just I can't get enough of it. It's an yeah. awesome book. And then the other thing that's that probably they could have touched on in the movie. I don't think it would have caused them too much grief. Is the creature that manifests itself as Pennywise 
there's a whole chapter in the book or some appreciable segment of the book where it's going back when it traveled and, and came basically to Earth. It traveled for 10,000 years just through the cosmos, mm-hmm. finding a place to go. And it did nothing but think. You know, and it basically it, it, it was like a cue, but, but, but an evil one. Star Trek reference. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it gets to Earth, and there are references in this book that go back to like 1700s every 27 years every 27 years the main meat of the book is which it was 58 or 57 or whatever the the, uh, the, the, the then current when they were kids <clears throat> I think it was 55 to 56 yeah in that or 57 to 58 that's okay. what it was in that time frame they're making a lot of references to 27 years prior and that's how they're starting to kind of the kids are doing this they're reading through the, the library uh, records Mm-hmm. And seeing it, you know, this is something that went on, you know, 27 years ago. Yeah. And 27 years before that, it's the kids that made the connection. It was every 27 years. Yeah. And that's why they made the promise that in 27 more years, if we haven't killed it, because it disappeared after they attacked it when she hit it with the, when she hit it with the slingshot. Yeah. And then they all gangbanged her. <laughs> Another thing <laughs> they left out. Yeah, that was not <laughs> in the movie. Um, they, uh, they said it disappeared. It ran, but they couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. They had no idea if it was uh, if it was dead, and so they made that promise to come back. But its thoughts, you know, and its fears, you kind of got familiar with those midway through the book because it tells the whole tale of it coming across, like I said, across the cosmos, just traveling nonstop for tens of thousands of years, and just settling on Earth back, you know, thousands of years ago. Yeah, and it wasn't always kids. It was only kids in the like the twentieth century when it realized getting adults was a lot harder, right? <laughs> than getting kids. Kids were easy because you get the balloons, you know, you do the clown thing, and you've got to attract them. Right. Yeah. I mean, the book opens up with um, current day nineteen, you know, eighty seven or whatever, eighty six. Uh, the sheriff of, of Derry talking to some guy. <laughs> I think it was a homosexual gay guy whose gay, you know, lover disappeared. And they're going to hold this guy for murder one because he basically got blood all over him and, you know, all his evidence that he did something. Yeah. But the guy said, I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> he just wasn't there all of a sudden. So Pennywise was eating people and eating grownups just, you know, until it until he real, it realized that it could get kids a lot easier. And that's why it moved towards kids, but still would eat grownups. Right. When, it, you know, when it had to feed, if that's what was available. But, yeah, there's a whole backstory on how it got here, why it's here. And why those kids had the ability they did, and why Henry, um, why that rock fight was the turning point in his life. Didn't touch on it in the movie. Pissed me off. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, like you said, they moved all all moved on to like pretty successful um, careers, um, and obviously they didn't touch on. Um, they didn't touch on it uh, at all. The fact that Pennywise would have had anything to do with it, other than Mike mentions it was it was a, it was a curse that was broken mm-hmm. um, because they defeated him. Um, but it seemed like all of them had a certain a certain aspect of like discontent in their in their lives, of some sort. I mean, like. Um, 
Bill. I mean, he was he's a novelist, but he was writing a movie and he hated it. Um, uh, Beverly, she's a successful um, fashion designer, but she had some asshole boyfriend or husband or whomever um, that eventually turned out to be you know just as as abusive as her father was. Um, I mean, thing, things of that nature. So, I guess, despite them having successful... Ben was a drunk. Ben was a drunk, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, just things like that. And it just so, obviously, it wasn't all... Not all the glitters were gold. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think before we started doing this, you and I were talking about how it was definitely like you could definitely tell it was a TV movie yeah but the the I felt like the production value was pretty good despite being a TV movie I, I mean agree. they they did a lot of I mean they kind of shied away from like violence and gore but I mean of course it was, well, I think it, was, it aired on like ABC or something yeah they uh, as mentioned earlier it was originally a 16 hour miniseries and it was going to be kind of a I'm trying to remember how I read this. It was like the return, the great return of the miniseries, mm-hmm. you know, to go over like two weeks or something like that. And <clears throat> um, this was right on the heels of uh, Disney acquiring ABC. And uh, Disney apparently, and I'm interpolating here, I don't know this for a fact, but Disney apparently had something to say about how nasty this movie, you know, was, was, was going to come off. You know, it's definitely not the family kind of uh, programming that we really want. It's we can have a you know, adult serious programming, but I guess there was just too much in there. Um, and then you know the the concern over no not enough attention span to keep people engaged for what would effectively be probably ten nights. Yeah, throw commercials in there, <clears throat> which is too bad because you missed out on a lot of why things happen. It it it, it did a good job of demonstrating things that happened, it gave no explanation as to why some of those things happened. Mm-hmm. Why most of those things happened. And it's not the why. It's just a series of scenes that, you know, that to me was disjointed. Yeah. Especially when I saw it. I <clears throat> watched it all, uh, a whole three and a half hours all in one sitting last night with no commercial breaks or anything. It's like, yeah. <clears throat> Mommy said, <laughs> she goes, is this like two movies you're watching? <laughs> and it wasn't the time delta that she was referring to. It was just, it was so choppy. Yeah. Like, wow. You could tell there was parts where it's like, oh, commercial break, commercial break. <laughs> yeah, um, I know we were sitting here watching it with my fiance last night, and, um, uh, like, I think I, I stepped away to, to go have a cigarette or something and come back in. She's like, how much longer is this? I'm like, we're not even halfway done yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we'd been there for like an hour and a half already. It's just like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> this is my job. You shut your mouth when you talk to me. <laughs> You uh, shot up there. It's a good movie. <laughs> Don't make me get the belt again. <laughs> again. <laughs> um, but yeah. it, by all by all admissions, though, I don't know how you would turn what I personally believe is his best book with this level of of storytelling. I don't know how you turn this into a, a what a a good movie. I, I don't even know where you'd. Short of having a, 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 you know, 
16 hour movie. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, they're, they're planning to remake it and, um, it's, they're making it into two feature like movies. Like I said, I mean, that's really the only way you could do it. Any form of justice. But I, like you said, I just don't think that's going to be enough. I mean, if they're and and you know, you're, you're going on the premise that they're contiguous story too. You know, I mean, they made two Avengers movies. Both were very, very good, except for the characters. They had anything to do with each other. It's like, so you got two movies about it, unless it's part one and part two, that, what would they be, a year apart? If they had filmed them at the same time, like Lord of the Rings? Mm-hmm. They might be two years apart. It's like, how are you supposed to, how are you supposed to maintain any continuity? Yeah. Make a fucking four-hour movie. I'll watch it. <laughs> it will be interesting with the remake seeing an R-rated version of it. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned before, the, the ABC kind of pulling punches. Uh, it, it definitely will be interesting to see if they include more, just more more of the graphic scenes and more of the graphic um, uh, content um, just to kind of drive the point home, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure it'll be dark and gritty. <laughs> And have a bunch of sounds, things flying at you in slow motion. Yep, yep. Um, that's called a metal whir, by the way. It's called bullshit. Is what it is. <laughs> Who's in it? Is it, huh? is it cast yet? No. I don't, yeah, they haven't done any casting. It's the director from True Detective, though, is the guy doing it. So. True Detective, the HBO show. I've never seen it. Any good? Uh, Alexandra Daddario shows her boobs. This must be good. Yep. She's awesome. And Bush. <laughs> and ass. Really? Aeth. Trifecta, huh? Aeth and Tidith. She's a beautiful girl. She's, <laughs> she's just fun to look at. She's real party. <laughs> uh, I, I like the part where uh, it turns into a dog, in, but he's still wearing the clown outfit. Yeah, what the <laughs> I have in my notes, dog in a clown costume. Not as adorable as it sounds. <laughs> that did seem... the cutest gauge in a dress, huh? <laughs> that did seem uh, out of place. I mean, just... They, yeah. they, I mean, they literally just took a dog and put, like, a clown suit around its neck. I mean... Yeah. Why don't you make, some, make something? <laughs> yeah, Use your hands. Like a three-headed dog or well, something. Because they did that, too. And then they kind of made, made Pennywise the clown a clown. You know, like the clown persona of, of Pennywise was nothing. There was nothing fun about it. He was vicious. He was a fucking he'd tear these kids apart. Yeah. You know, he only was a clown by by uh, first impression, and then as soon as he, as soon as the kids let down their defenses, he became he. What he did is he would become his start, just showing a, a, a tiny image of what he really was, and it'd go insane. It fried the brain. Because they couldn't comprehend what his cre- what his being really was. So were there? I mean, they they talked about the use of um, the thing the things that would hypnotize people, and he would kind of draw them into his, the deadlights. His, his yeah, his deadlights. He had. I mean, what what I can't think that kind of leads you to believe this is true form. Is uh, a giant spider, um, and he has lights on his underbelly that when they gaze into him, like it's described as. They, they want to be there. They want to be in I want the light. Yeah, 
Um, um, so it, are, is that something that translates to the, to the book? It wasn't so much that. Um, like I said, he would show his, his true persona, and they were just, I mean, they were just sitting ducks because they couldn't they'd fry him. They'd, just, they'd lose their mind. Right. And that he showed Henry a tiny touch of that in the nut house and gave him just enough to break him, break his head, basically, and, and get in. And now he's basically a, a human puppet. Right. That can go in and attack them one by one. Uh, he, he was terrified of them, and that was something else that, that, the, that the book elaborates on, is this thing didn't know fear. Whoa there. What the hell was that? Hey, kids. Skeletoni here. Uh, so, as you just heard, we had some tef- technical difficulties with this episode. Um, just did not catch it until I was doing some editing ready to post it up for you guys and I just was unable to salvage what was lost uh, which was really disappointing because um, we had a really nice long conversation about it. My dad he kind of described the, the differences between the book and and the, the, the film just kind of described well, what was missing and what was different um, and, uh, he kind of, there, there were certain situations, much like in Pet Cemetery, there were situations with, in the movie that, um, didn't really make sense at the time or weren't fully explained, but my dad would, you know, went on to explain that these situations, they actually were explained and reasoned in the book because as he mentioned before, earlier in the episode um Stephen King's not one to miss details um he, he said he like my dad said he'll s- spend 5000 pages explaining his story or you know telling his story uh if that's what it takes and so to try and make a, a just a, a very detailed work like it and concise it down into a, f- uh, a film or even in a mini series like this um it uh it's very hard to do so uh overall my dad was pretty disappointed in this film um for a handful of reasons um i think the main one for him was that uh there was so much left out um and they it it, it 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 upset it or upset him that they tried to translate what was you know his favorite Stephen King piece uh, into um, video or you know a visual form and uh, left so many details out and just uh, didn't tell the story in a way that uh, really spoke the words of Stephen King um, and uh, he was not terribly satisfied with the casting um, as he mentioned before in Pet Cemetery, uh, they used a lot of TV actors um, and that's not to say that you know, it, was, it was a TV movie but um, that uh, did not go for well with my old man and uh, he ultimately gave it a four Taylor um, matched my dad with a four. Um, he uh, he. It seemed like he he didn't necessarily not like it. He 
for all, all the same reasons that my my dad disliked it, um, the fact that it was very um, miniseries esque, I guess. He, uh, although it was very long, and um, you know, it was just short of three hours uh, from uh, beginning to end, and you, but you, throughout the the film, you could tell that oh well here's a commercial break or here here was an original commercial break or you know here's where they they ended it for for the day um and uh he he said that that just kind of pulled him out of it a little bit and also he 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 just seemed like he felt like it had a tendency to drag on at points which was odd because there was so much to tell in the story of it that there should be no dragging points, um, and it being uh, like I just like I said, just uh, short of three hours, and there being so much in the book that was left out, there should have been absolutely no reason that there should have been any slow points or parts that, dra- uh, that dragged, um, and uh, he felt that there was a lot in there that could have been taken out and alternatively substituted for things in the book that were left out. So, uh, Taylor, like I said, matched my dad's score with a four. Um, I was a little, had a little more bit of a positive attitude about it, I guess. Um, I just remember watching it when I was a kid and really enjoying it. And, uh, to this day, I still enjoy it a lot. I think, uh, Tim Curry was brilliant. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, this is probably his best role, I think. I thought the casting was fairly well done. Um, li- like I mentioned, yeah, m- my dad said there there were a lot of TV actors, which is true, but um, they weren't bad TV actors, I suppose, um, as opposed to Pet Cemetery with Dale Mick- Mitkiff. <laughs> um, but uh, overall, I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I agree with my dad and Taylor to a point where there, there was so much left out and there was so much that they could have taken out of this and substituted in with important information and, and detail from the book that just wasn't included and uh, I felt like those changes easily could have been made but um, I still thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it it's something that I will go, go back to over and over again throughout the years and uh, you know with uh, the remakes in the work with the remake in the works um i know that i'll probably always go back to this one because remakes are such a disappointment anyway so um my overall score was a six um so that averaged out to a 4.67 uh for an overall score for it so i i guess that's um uh, that's gonna do it for for me here today um I want to apologize for not having Taylor here. Um, he uh, he's actually out of town. He's back on the East Coast for a, a visit for with some friends and family. So um, he's not with me today, but uh, I'm sure he's here in spirit. So thanks again for joining us on this and, and sticking with us on this very long episode. Uh, in the future, we'll try to keep our episodes to one part. You know, between two two and a half hours, like we we usually do. Um, but uh, thanks again, and uh, be sure to come back in in, uh, uh, in a couple weeks for our new episode. Um, 
I believe, and in, in, uh, I, I can't speak for certain right now, but I believe next week is going to be our Crypticon episode. Um, we're gonna go to the go to the con and um, and uh, try and meet and talk to as many people as we can, and uh, we'll bring all that back to you guys and and, and let you listen into the, the conversations that we have. Um, provided that's something that I can assemble in such a short amount of time, um, then that will be our episode next week or in, um, in two weeks. If we can't get that together quick enough, then we will likely have our next episode be, um, Godzilla and all cheerleaders die. Uh, all cheerleaders die is, uh, an independent movie that we've been in contact with, uh, the production team on that and uh, we're pretty excited to watch that and obviously Godzilla is brand new and um, got some mixed reviews but I'm still uh, interested to see it so um, and uh, also uh, join us uh, tomorrow night with uh, our new episode of Drunken Cinema where we watched uh, Trick or Treat um, once you uh, put our stupid drunk asses on and uh, listen along with us um So anyway, uh, thanks again for joining us on this episode, and we will catch you again in a couple weeks. Thanks for sticking with the Grave Plot Podcast, guys. Make you wish that you were dead or make it hard to cope. He'll make you wish-